Maybe you have seen this Facebook post that has been making its rounds uh, recently. A post from a young woman who was struggling with depression, and this is what she wrote. I brushed my hair today for the first time in four weeks. It was matted and twisted together. It snapped and tore with every stroke. I cried while I washed and conditioned it because I forgot how it felt to run my fingers through it. I brushed my teeth, too, for the first time in a week. My gums bled. My water ran red. I cried over that as well. When I got out of the shower, I couldn't stop sniffing my hair and arms. I've avoided hugging people for a while because I never smell good. I always smell like I've been on bed rest for a week. I have no clean clothes because I'm too tired and sad to wash them. Depression isn't beautiful. Depression is bad hygiene, dirty dishes, and a sore body from sleeping too much. Depression is having three friends that are only still around because they have the patience and love of a saint. Depression is crying until there's no more tears, just dry heaving and sobbing until you're gasping for the next breath. Depression is staring at the ceiling until your eyes burn because you forget to blink. Depression is making your family cry because they think you don't love them anymore when you're distant and distracted. Depression is somatic as well as emotional, an emptiness you can physically feel. Please be easy on your friends and family that have trouble getting up the energy to clean, hang out, or take care of themselves. And please, please take them seriously if they talk to you about it. We're trying. I swear we're trying. See, I brushed my hair today. Have you ever felt low? Maybe not at the place that this woman is at, but so low that it just seemed difficult to to move ahead. Difficult to to be able to, to, to... to move ahead in life, it's as if you're stuck. Well, this morning as we continue our series through the book of Ruth, we're going to see how Naomi, who in many ways had become stuck, she was brokenhearted because of all of the miseries that she had gone through. And surely she had gone through a lot. You'll remember that she and her husband Elimelech lived in Bethlehem. And because of a famine, they they had to move. They had to move to a foreign country, Moab. And they moved with their two boys. And when they got to Moab, Ruth's husband, Elimelech, died. So now she's in a foreign land without the support of family and friends. And her husband's gone. She still has her two boys. Eventually, the two boys married. But after around 10 years of marriage, there were no children. There was childlessness. And then, in a crazy turn of events, both of her boys die. And so Ruth is left with no one in a foreign country. Her two daughter-in-laws are with her, and she begins to make her way back to Bethlehem as you, as you look in chapter 1, because, because finally there was, there was food again. There was food available in, in Bethlehem. She begins to make her way back. And along the way, she tells her daughters-in-law, you need to go back to Moab. But one of her daughters-in-law, Ruth, wouldn't leave. She stayed with Naomi. But when Naomi got back to Bethlehem, you remember what she said. She said to the the other ladies in Bethlehem, do not call me by the name Naomi, which means pleasant or lovely, but you call me Mara, which means bitter. 
And she said, the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. And she was stuck in, a, in despondency and despair. And so in last week, we looked at Ruth 2 and, and how things were beginning to change. And this week, we're going to see that Ruth is no longer stuck in despair. She's moving ahead. She's regained her confidence in the Lord. She's dreaming again and planning again. And she's living again. It's an incredible picture of God's tender mercy and the life of, uh, of one of his own. And so this morning as we look at Ruth 3, we'll see that we can live boldly and with hope because we know that God is at work, because we know that, that he's at work. Let's look at Ruth 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor, and do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. So Naomi has come up with a plan. What a strange plan. Naomi tells her daughter-in-law, Ruth, you don't need to keep living with me ultimately. One of these days, I'm going to die. And she loved her so much, she she saw her more like a daughter. That's obvious in their conversations together. She said, you need to to be able to have a husband. Uh, you need to be able to have a man who will provide for you. You've got to recognize in these days, in this day and time, it was important for, for ladies economically to be connected to, to a husband or to be a part of a, a family who could help take care uh, of them. And so Naomi is concerned for Ruth's welfare, and, and she says, um, you need to see if Boaz might be a possibility. Boaz, of course, was a kinsman redeemer. During this time period, uh, a redeemer was someone in the family line who would help when there was a problem. And in some ways, it, there's some connection to leveret marriage when you study in the Old Testament, which was basically that a, that a, a person within the family could marry and carry on the family line. And, and so there's a sense in which that's what's in play here. So Boaz is a potential redeemer. Boaz was kin to Elimelech, Naomi's deceased husband. And so... Naomi says to Ruth, you need to see if he would be willing to, to marry you for, for your own good. Now, I want you to, to think back. Back in chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, when Naomi was pleading with her daughters-in-law to return to Moab, one of the things she said to, to her daughters-in-law is this, you need to find rest and to find a husband. In other words, she wanted them to, to, to find a, a home and a husband who would, who would help them and take care of them. And now suddenly... By chapter 3, Ruth, this is interesting, is becoming the answer to her very prayer. In other words, she's prayed for God to be at work. And now she's beginning to believe that he will be at work. And she's beginning to, to try to help Ruth actually find a husband. So in many ways, Naomi is becoming the answer to prayer that she prayed. God's using Naomi herself to bring about his good purposes. It's a beautiful picture of God's providence and human action uh, on display in Ruth 
And so she says, go down to the threshing floor. And threshing floor would be a a hard rock, like a bedrock, that they would crush grain on. They would use uh, various ways you could crush grain, but you would crush grain, and that would take the husk off the kernel of the seed. And so the, 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 uh, the threshing would take that husk off, and then they would winnow the grain, and that was to take the grain and pick it up and to throw it into the air. And the husks would kind of fly away, drift away, and the seed would fall to the ground. And so that, that's the process of threshing, and this is what Boaz is doing at the, at the harvest floor. Now, it's interesting, Naomi has been plotting. Now, you know, some of you ladies believe that one of your, your uh, spiritual gifts is setting people up and kind of being Cupid. I, I've known some, some ladies like that. And uh, uh, it worked for me, and I'm grateful for, for some of those ladies who worked behind the scenes. But, but Naomi's doing just that. How does she know that Boaz is going to be staying the night at the threshing floor? We don't know, but we know she's been planning. She's been figuring things out. So she says, hey, you go there and uncover his feet and lie down at his feet. What a strange plan. Now, it'll make a little more sense in just a moment as we go along. But let's pick back up in verse 6. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and he turned over and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after the young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman, and now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning If he will redeem you, good, let him. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So what does Ruth do? She does exactly what Naomi tells her to do. She goes down to the threshing floor. This is a secluded area, a ways from from Bethlehem, out of the town of Bethlehem. She kind of watches from a distance. She waits for him to, to have a good meal, be satisfied lay down. We don't know how long she waited for him to actually be asleep, but once he's asleep, she goes there and she just pulls his covers or his cloak back off of his feet so that his feet are exposed, and she lays down there at his feet. She does exactly what her mother-in-law instructed her to do. Now, imagine what's going through her mind at this time. You're Ruth, and you're uncovering this guy's feet. He's sound asleep. Her heart must have been beating a thousand times per minute. Think you're, you're excited, but then you're, you're scared. What, what, what will he say? What will he do? And so she, she, follows, she follows through. She does exactly as she's been instructed to do. And about midnight, he's startled. Well, why should she uncover his feet? Well, as the night air would become cooler... This would cause him to wake up. So, so the plan was that during the night, he would wake up. 
And of course, the, the night air did become cooler, and, and he did awake. In fact, he was startled. Perhaps he was dreaming or something, and he, and he woke up a bit startled. He turned over, and he had a reason to be startled. There was somebody laying at his feet. And not just that, there was a woman laying at his feet. And so he says to her, who are you? And she says, I am Ruth, your servant. Now, remember before when we've, when we've seen the name Ruth used in this book, it's been Ruth the Moabitess, Ruth the foreigner. Why? Because she was from another country. There was ethnical and racial issues here. She was, she was someone else. But what we're seeing is that she's beginning to, to be uh, a part of the Israelites. She's a believer in Yahweh. And now she's not Ruth the foreigner. She's Ruth, your servant. Now what we see is an amazing display of honor and integrity on Boaz's part. As soon as he realized it was Ruth, a woman that he clearly had some interest in, what does he say? Look, look at the words out of his mouth. The Lord bless you. Now, these are not necessarily the words that we would expect out of a man's mouth who was at a secluded place with a woman that he had interest in. Unless, of course, he's a man of integrity. Unless, of course, he's a man of the Lord. And so what does he say? He says, the Lord bless you. He doesn't say, hey, come here, baby, and sit here. Get a little closer. There's none of that. There's none of that. You see a remarkable purity. He brings up the Lord in this situation. This is a beautiful picture of purity, one that we need in today's world, one that those of us who are believers need to see and and, and get a hold of. And so he says to her, the kindness that you've shown Today is even greater than the one before. Well, what was the kindness that Ruth had shown before? It's that Ruth stayed with Naomi. Ruth left her mother and father, if you remember, in Moab. And she came back with Naomi, and she was committed to Naomi's welfare. And so here, now, Boaz says, the kindness that you're showing now, Ruth, it's even greater than that. Well, what was the kindness she was showing? It was a commitment to see the family line of Elimelech carried on. Ruth wanted, she wanted Naomi to have grandkids. She wanted the family line to continue, and she was committed to that. And he said, you're, you're a blessed woman. You could have gone after the young men, which, which leads us to believe that, that Boaz was probably a little older than her, probably more like a middle-aged man. And he says, you could have gone after the young men, even the poor ones or the rich ones. And one commentator noted to go after the poor ones would have been to go after the ones for love. He's poor, but I really, she, she, she would say, I, I love him. But to go after the rich ones, well, that was to get money. And he says, you haven't done either of those things. You've been committed to Naomi. And you've been committed to Elimelech so that he can have uh, his family line continue. So that Naomi one day can hold her grandchildren. He says, what an amazing, what an amazing act of devotion. And now notice, Ruth has said to him, spread your wings over me. What a strange way, what a strange way to talk. But we know that, that spread your wings was sometimes a euphemism for, for, for marry me. Marry me. So that's what Ruth was saying. She was saying, marry me, spread your wings over me. Let me come underneath your protection. You're a redeemer in our family line. Now, if you go back to Ruth, chapter 2, verse 12, 
When Boaz and Ruth first met, Boaz said to Ruth, May the Lord repay you for all the ways that that you've taken care of your mother-in-law, Naomi. May the Lord bless you and repay you. And then uh, Boaz said, May the Lord under whose wings you have come to take refuge repay you. It's the same idea here. And so some commentators have, have suggested, it's interesting to think about, that Ruth went home after that conversation back in chapter 2 and told Naomi, this is what he said. What do you think he meant? And as only ladies can do, they were talking and trying to figure this out. And perhaps this was Boaz's sort of veiled and subtle way to say, I'm willing to, to take you under my wings. Maybe this was his subtle way of saying, I'm here and, and, and I'm, I'm for you. I'll take care of you. And so now here in chapter 3, Ruth, in, in a sort of subtle way, in a very profound way, goes and lays his, at his feet in a sense and says, take me under your wings. I, I want to be under your protection. I, I want to be your wife. And what does he say? All the people in this town know this about you, Ruth. They know that you're a worthy woman. They know that you're a woman of integrity and honor. What a, what a beautiful picture. Notice that this lady comes in, in holiness. You, you see that. And he treats her in kind. But what does he say? Ruth, there's actually a redeemer who's closer than me. Apparently, during this time, that the custom was that whoever was nearest of kin had the first opportunity to, to be the redeemer. So, so there was someone who was in closer kin to Ruth than Boaz. Uh, uh, there, there was someone who was closer kin to, to Elimelech, maybe would be a better way to say it, than Boaz was. And so Boaz says, hey, I, I need to check with, with him and see if he wants to redeem you. And if he does, then, then that's fine. But if he doesn't, I'm game. I, I, I'm, I'm ready. So... He says to her, lie down until morning. Why? Because she didn't need to be wandering around in the middle of the night by herself. Lie down until morning. Let's pick back up in verse 14. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it be known that the woman came to the, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment that you're wearing and hold it out. So he held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her. So here it is the next morning, and Ruth gets up early to to leave. She doesn't really want people to know about this because people are probably going to assume the worst. They're probably going to gossip, and he agrees with her. You probably need to keep this quiet. But he says, before you go, I want to give you this grain. And we don't know the exact amount of grain, but it seems to be a pretty good amount of grain that that she carries back into Bethlehem with her. Now, when she gets back into town, Naomi, well, she doesn't have to go and arouse her and awaken her. No, she's been up. Naomi has been walking the floor. She wants to know, has this worked? What's happened? And so she's awake. She sees Ruth coming in, carrying all this grain. What what happened? What happened? And so Ruth tells Naomi all that Boaz said and did. And and she also says, take 
He also told me, take this grain to your mother-in-law, to Naomi, because I don't want her to be empty-handed. Now, in Ruth 121, when Naomi had returned from Moab, she said to the ladies in Bethlehem, I left Bethlehem full. I had a husband, I had two boys, but I have returned empty, empty-handed. The Lord has dealt bitterly with me. And here, Boaz says, I do not want your mother-in-law, Naomi, to be empty-handed. And it's as if Naomi had suffered great loss, but God was providing for her grain. But this is sort of a glimpse ahead. Boaz will not leave Naomi empty-handed. We kind of get a glimpse of what's going to happen in chapter 4. We're going to find that Naomi has that grandchild that she can hold. And so this is a hint of, of all that's going on. Now notice, we see another mark of Boaz's character and integrity. He says to her, there's another redeemer. But you know what he could have done? He could have said, hey, there's another redeemer, but I'm not taking any chances. We're going to scheme. We're going to do this. We're going to take off and get married in another place. And we're going to make this work. I'm not taking any chances on somebody else taking you from me. Because he had an interest in Ruth. And so, instead of manipulating or playing games or doing something that would have been improper or sinful, what does Boaz do? He says, I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to go to the other redeemer and I'm going to talk to him face to face. And if he redeems you, so be it. I'm going to trust the Lord with that. What what a beautiful mark of integrity. I'm going to do what's right no matter what it costs me. I'm going to do what's right. Oh, we see such character and honor here. And then Naomi says to her in verse 18, wait, wait, Ruth, he'll take care of this today. Now, what I want to emphasize about the word wait is this. You know what these two women could have done? They could have tried to plot and plan. Naomi could have said, hey, let's go and let's talk to so-and-so and let's have them talk to this other potential redeemer and make sure that he's not interested. Let's have them say this and do that and, and that way he'll tell Boaz no. They don't do any of that. They do what's right. And then they leave it in the hands of God. So here you see this confidence in God, a trust in God. We're going to do what's right, and then we're going to leave it in God's hands. It could have been that the other redeemer had said, sure, I'll marry her. They were leaving that in the hands of God. They're going to be people of honor and character regardless. So we've seen here that God works through the righteous actions of his people. All throughout this chapter, God works through the righteous actions of his people. He's at work behind the scenes, but he's also using his people to to accomplish his purposes. So what does this look like in our lives? Well, first, it means this. If we belong to God, we ought to dream, plan, and live boldly within the counsel of God's word. You see, trust in a God who was at work in the lives of his children enabled Naomi to dream again. It enabled Ruth to to act boldly. So within the boundaries of God's word, we ought to live boldly too. We ought to live with with a sense of, of which we believe that God's at work in our lives, even though we can't see or understand all that he's doing. I remember when... I was a kid, and it was the 4th of July. I'd been with my dad. He was working uh, on my grandma's house, and, and he was tired and worn, and the day was coming near the end, and I just kept saying to him, hey, dad, 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 can we go back into town? There's a certain 
uh, there's a certain type of firework I really, really want. And I don't remember what it was at the time, and he was tired, and there's no way he wanted to do that. I kind of see it from a different angle now. But, but he, he did. He took me back into town. Now, why was I willing to go to my dad and ask? Because I had a good sense that my dad was going to be there for me. And this is what Naomi has finally seen. For a while, it seemed to her like the clouds and the skies were gray. And it felt to her like God wasn't there for her. But finally, she's seeing God really is there for me. And she's beginning to live again and to dream again. And that's, that's what we see happening here. Now, when you think of depression, depression doesn't dream much. Depression doesn't hope much. Remember when Naomi said, the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me in chapter 1. A person who fills the victim rarely makes plans for what's ahead. God doesn't want us to live there, y'all. God wants us to, to know him and trust him. And so if you're struggling with that, if you're struggling with, with feeling down and low, then get help from, from a mature believer, from a solid Christian who can walk alongside you. Don't, don't go it alone. Naomi didn't go it alone. God provided Ruth for her. You don't go it alone either. God wants to help you live again, have joy again, to have, to have hope again if you belong to him, to, to, to live boldly within the, the bounds of God's word and then to rest in his providence, not to worry or fret. Second, women aspire to be a godly woman. Aspire to be a godly woman. Notice that Naomi did tell Ruth, hey, take a bath, clean up, put on perfume, look good, smell good before you go down there. She did tell her that. But we don't get even the smallest hint that Ruth tried to be lascivious in the way that she dressed, that Ruth tried to be seductive in the way that she talked. None of that was there. She was going to to get this man only, only if she could be a woman of integrity in the process. So women aspire to be a godly woman. Surely Ruth sets a great example here. We notice that a lot of the traits that are present in the Proverbs 31 woman are present in Ruth. She fears God. She's committed to her family. She's a hard worker. She's generous. She's kind. And so ladies, with God's help, aspire to be that kind of woman. Not the woman, not the women that, that our world put on the pedestals, but a woman who loves Jesus with all her heart. A woman who loves Jesus with all her heart is a powerful weapon in the hands of God. I can remember right after I graduated from high school, I had gone through some kind of rocky times. And one of my teachers, a godly, a godly woman, pushed me and encouraged me to, to really begin walking with the Lord. And it was her powerful example and her love for Jesus that made me get into church. And I'm, I'm forever grateful because it changed the whole direction of my life. And it was that, that godly teacher, thank, thank the Lord for those teachers who, who love him and who, who influence students. But it was her example of being a godly woman. Now, ladies, never underestimate how God's going to use your love for him, your kindness, your tenderness, your commitment. 
Never underestimate that. Men aspire to be a man of integrity. Boaz will not do wrong to get the girl. He will not. So with God's help, men, let's seek to be the kind of man that that we ought to be, that he's called us to be. Fourth, if you're single and hoping for marriage, seek to be the right kind of person. Seek to be the right kind of person. In Ruth 3.11, we see that Ruth was a woman of God, that, that she was a godly woman, and she was that before Boaz caught her eye. In Ruth 2.1, we see that Boaz was a man of God before Ruth ever caught his eye. This is who they were before the possibility of a relationship. So don't seek to find someone. Seek to get right with the Lord, and then, and then you can look to, to see who the Lord might have for you. I, one of my favorite preachers described it like this. He said this, run as hard as you can toward Jesus, and then look to the side and see Who's running beside you? Who's also running as hard as they can to get to Jesus? That's the one. That's the one you need to say, hey, maybe we can do this together. That's the kind of person. But you've got to be the kind of person to find that kind of person. So I urge you singles, be the kind of person that, that, G, that, that the Lord would have you be. Seek him, pursue him. Fifth, never have sexual relations outside of biblical marriage. Never have sexual relations outside of biblical marriage. Maintain your purity. Keep fighting for your purity. And if you've messed up in this area, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 reminds us that there's forgiveness. Forgiveness for those who have committed adultery. Forgiveness for those who have committed sins of homosexuality. Forgiveness for those who have committed sex outside of marriage. God forgives and he wipes clean. So so if you've messed up in this area, ask God to forgive you and and move forward. And perhaps you've been single and you've maintained your purity your entire life. I encourage you to continue on. You're in great company. The Lord Jesus himself, a man of singleness and celibacy. Now the world today has told us that that our, our identity is wrapped up in our sexuality, but that's not true. The Bible tells us that we can have a full, rich life of celibacy. Jesus himself is the perfect example. So so we want to strive to live rich, God-glorifying lives in marriage or in singleness, but lives that are marked by purity. The sexual purity of Boaz and Ruth here have eternal significance. Guess what? From the marriage of Ruth and Boaz eventually from that family line would lead to the birth of Jesus. You see, here they are in Bethlehem with the stars above them in a secluded place with a chill in the air. And the morning dawned and they remained pure. And about a thousand years later, coming from this very family line, would be the birth of the Lord Jesus right there in Bethlehem. You see, their purity had an eternal purpose. And I'm saying to you that your purity has an eternal purpose too. They had no idea what their purity would mean a thousand years later. They had no idea, but but God was at work and, and Jesus would be born from their family line. I'm saying to you today, the world may tell you, chase this, chase that, it's good, it's good. Let's be people of purity. And let's let God work 
for his eternal purposes and glory. What was the consequence of the birth of Jesus? Well, the birth of Jesus means that those who are dead in sin can have their sins wiped clean. It means that though we're laden down with guilt and regret, we can be washed and free from all of that. that that's what Jesus means. That's what the birth of this one who would be a descendant of, of Ruth and Boaz would mean. You see, he would come to this earth. He would, he would leave heaven. He would live a perfect life, be nailed to the cross because of all the filth and the sin that's in our lives. He would take the punishment for that sin upon himself. And he would be raised from the dead and he made a way for sinners like, like me and like you to be forgiven and to live. That's the eternal purpose that God accomplished through the purity of Boaz and Ruth. What a beautiful picture of God's work and the righteous actions of his people. I saw the story recently of a couple from Georgia who had a little three-year-old boy And they had a heart for adoption, and they believed that God was leading them to adopt. And they came across a family of seven, seven siblings. And no one wanted to take seven siblings. But this family didn't want to see those brothers and sisters separated. And so they adopted seven siblings. They called them the Super Seven. And now they had eight kids. What did this family do? They believed that God had put it on their heart to adopt. And then they began to take actions to to make that happen. And then they trusted that behind the scenes, God would accomplish his purposes. And now there are seven kiddos who aren't going to age out of the foster system. And now there are seven kids who aren't going to be split up and busted up. Now there are seven kids who've got a daddy and a mama. Why? Because the people of God, these These two said, we believe God's calling us to do this and we're willing to take bold actions and trust that God will be at work. Today, how could God be at work through your life to bless others, to accomplish his eternal purpose? No, we don't live in despair. We hope in him and we take action trusting that he'll be at work. Join me in prayer.